This week, Google learns its ABCs, force touching all the things, and what age is appropriate for giving kids technology. It's the 15th episode of Magnificent. As always, I'm Ian Fuchs, and I'm joined by the usual cast of characters, MacTrast.com Senior Editor Chris Houck, and the often imitated, never duplicated, Mr. J. Glenn Kunzler. Hey guys, how are you on this fine afternoon, evening, midday, whatever it is? Doing good. How about everybody else? Surviving, at least. That's the start. Something like that. So how's the last week been for you guys? Anything overly exciting? Not for me. Apparently not for Glenn either. We're we're stumped. It's been pretty stable. Yeah, I mean, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot going on. I mean, you know, your average 200 different rumors, things like that. Well, and and Glenn's been out doing his political rants at the mall, yelling at people, I assume. Always, always. (laughs) That's where he was. He was buying cardboard and sticks with a few signs. That was it. It's mostly just throwing things. (laughs) Throwing things. Uh, Utah used to be such a quiet state. Yeah, most of it still is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much for that. What's the what's the fun of that, honestly? It's okay. You guys will have a wall soon. Is that the right state? Am I a state am I a state too far north? Yeah. Well they're putting a wall between they're putting a wall between them and Arizona. So okay. they get over the, the wall down there. <laughs> They'll have to take that second wall. They're gonna have to be really good at track. I said, it. I said it, and I was like, wait a second. I don't think geography's on my side here. <laughs> <laughs> that, and they're really suspicious of those people above them, too. Well, just You guys are just going to build a wall around the entire state, right? That's just how it works. You're just like, yeah, we're going to keep our, ourselves in and everyone else out. No, they're just going to build one on every single restaurant so people can't see liquor. Oh. That's, that's why I drink clear liquor sometimes, because then I don't know that it's liquor. There you go. If you're fooling yourself, you're probably fooling everybody else, unless you're not. Exactly. Like, I'm just drinking water with lime today. <laughs> that water is smooth. It's triple filtered. 90 proof. 1800 water. Mm. Get it at your local grocery store. Yeah. So, yeah. See, we already went down the rabbit hole. It's already gone. Already, I told already you gone, we, and we're there. I told you pre-show we wouldn't have a problem filling up an hour. So, uh, before we get too far down that, let's uh, let's take a little left turn and, and jump into the first thing that we can talk about, which is the fact that Twitter has now opened up uh, direct messages to be a rabbit hole um, by removing the 140 character limit, which I think is kind of neat. I think. I think that I think it's kind of neat. It's about time. I mean, it certainly took them long enough to get there. It makes it a hell of a lot more convenient if somebody sends you a message, you don't have to break it up into four or five little blurbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never did understand the, the limit on the direct messages. That was a little silly. I think it all it all harkens back to Twitter was built before the smartphone thing really took off. So it was yeah. all text message based. Yeah. You had those 20 characters for your handle. You know, because text message used to be 160 characters. And tell us and that, about it, Grandpa. Yeah, it's it's weird to think like 
And you had to do it with a, a nine-digit keypad. Yeah. You had to hit it five times to get an S. Six for a capital. Oh, you always hit like star or pound for capitals to get it right. No, I never texted back then. It was too much work. I, I actually, there are times that I missed it or miss it, I guess, uh, because as as dangerous and as whatever as it is, I could actually text while driving with the nine keys because you basically could feel where you know where your nine keys were. You could just type. It was really easy. Now with the now typing on glass. It's not like the A feels different than the B feels different than the C. So maybe with force touch. <laughs> then yeah, it just taps. I, I, I had a, uh, what, what was Motorola's phone, the flip phone that was so popular before the iPhone? The, the Razor. I had the Razor. That was my last phone I had before the iPhone. And I think I sp- I had it for like two years. I think I sent three text messages the entire time. And two of them were. Yeah, that thing okay. was a yeah, two of them were the wrong person. So. <laughs> oh, I kind of like the Razor. Motorola had some cool phones back then. No, I loved I loved the Razor. It was it was a great little. It was fit in your pocket really well, and and they were durable. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know people who carried Razors for three, four, five years without. I, I think my dad carried a Razor for probably four years. Yeah, I had mine for two years, and I don't think it was a dent in it, and worked perfectly. And I think it's still in a drawer around here somewhere. Cool. It's probably worth money now. It's a relic. I'll, I'll show that if I ever get around to it. But I'm sure you can find some hipster to sell it to. Someone that remembers the good old days. Now, the good old days of, of the late 90s. <laughs> hipsters carry Blackberries because smartphones are just main, too mainstream, but they can't be not connected. Yeah, They have to be able to check their Instagram. Yeah, you wouldn't understand it. It's too, too eclectic. Something like that. Yeah. So, so that another rabbit hole there. Yeah. Um, but my uh, my thought on the Twitter direct messaging thing, um, I have a feeling, and I don't know if it's right or not, but I have a feeling that somewhere in the near ish future, we might see a Twitter direct messaging app, or like a Twitter Messenger app that's just for direct messaging, which would be so good because the Twitter app is so bad like the stock Twitter app. But the one thing that I could actually see using the Twitter app for is sending direct messages. Cause I do occasionally have to talk to somebody for more than, you know, 140 characters and I'm not texting them. So. Yeah, I could see I, that. I could see them going kind of along the lines of the Facebook messenger thing and making it its own standalone app. Well, it would certainly be interesting. So just more ways to communicate with people that you don't necessarily have a phone number for and don't necessarily want one. Right. And and it creates more social network lock-in. Or those people that have a police order to block your phone number, you can still get a hold of those guys, which is nice. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Uh, Is there a story behind that you can tell us, Glenn? Whatever. It's right around those pesky police orders. Those restraining orders can be such a pain in the butt to I did, you know keep up contact with my exes and things. Even you know, I didn't text him. I sent him an email. Right. It was <laughs> it was it was a Twitter direct message. I even kept it that under. Was specifically, not in my probation terms, officer. <laughs> Judge, you I can did. say nothing about that. 
I didn't see anything about Snapchats. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just I, taking photos. I accidentally hit the send button. Who knew? Um, I thought it was like, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting time where, where it seems like every service now is trying to branch out their messaging platform and everyone's kind of competing for messaging services. Um, well, anything they could do to keep you stuck there. Right. Or, or just, just remind you to use that service. Like not that any, anybody that uses Twitter very often or would use direct messaging on Twitter has any issue remembering to use Twitter. Uh, very similarly to anyone who uses Facebook messenger doesn't have a problem remembering to use Facebook, but it's just one more point of entry to the service, right. to the ads, to the money. Um, Indeed. And and in the same light, uh, Google has has branched out Hangouts into its own thing, at least on the web. They already had the separate Hangout app, obviously. But now Hangouts has its own landing page, uh, hangouts.google.com. Why it's not hangouts.com, I don't know. Google, by the domain. Somebody else has it by the domain. Um, but they've they've started to do some interesting things and and that was something that that I noticed and they've done some other interesting stuff um, that's what I hear I'm I'm actually kind of I, I I'm vaguely aware of what all has happened but I haven't read all the details on it so I will let Glenn fill us in because I know he was uh, anxious to talk about this Yeah, so um, essentially, Google has launched a new parent company, which is interesting because it's it's the reverse of of how things usually happen. Usually you have some kind of a parent company, and then it branches out into into all these different brands. Um, So the criticism for years regarding Google was that they were just trying to do too much. They were branching out into hardware. They were branching out into telephony. They had Android. They, of course, have Search, which is kind of their flagship. So now they've decided to distinguish themselves a little bit uh, by breaking things up into categories under a new brand called Alphabet. And Alphabet will have various divisions, Google being the primary one. So it's going to allow Google to focus on what they do best while still allocating resources to brand new projects that wouldn't or shouldn't fall under the Google brand. So kind of separating out. So Android is kind of its own thing. And Google, as in the search engine, is kind of its own thing. Well, and then obviously the related ser- services, Gmail and whatever. Right. Um, and and YouTube is its own thing. And so they're, it, it almost seems like they're, they're undoing what they've done in the last couple of years where they kind of tried to throw everything under one yeah, everything was you know, Google branded. Everything was under one blanket, and you hope they all got cozy. And now they're like, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna help kind of separate these." And these are all different things that we offer, but you know, they all revolve around us, or we're in control of all of them. But they're their own things. Yeah, probably the best thing that it does is it breaks the management into pieces. So the management for each division can now focus solely on that division. Um, in theory, this is going to allow everything to progress and improve at a much more rapid pace than 
having one team of executives focusing on all of these different side projects. Right, they should be much more responsive when they want to make a move. Mm -hmm. Don't have to wait for the top guy at the top level, the top organization to, to say yes. Right. Um, so what other changes have they made? One big one that I've noticed, and I don't, I don't think this is directly related, uh, but something else that changed around the same time is what I'm calling the death of Google Plus. But I don't, I don't think it actually is the death. I assume <laughs> Google Plus will stick around as a, a thing that Google did and people still continue to use, at least some people. Mm -hmm. uh, but the big thing that, that caught me was that uh, YouTube as a service no longer requires Google Plus, which it was only a couple of years ago that they switched to requiring Google Plus. Right. But you had to make a Google Plus account, and that was the account you used to comment. It had to be linked to a Gmail and that whole fiasco. Um, now, allegedly, you can create a YouTube account without having a Google Plus account. So when you post a video or comment on a video or like a video, it's not also posting on your Google Plus profile. Um. But on the flip side of that, I think what Google Plus was trying to do was get people to be signed into Google and have a permanent sign-in. Right. And mm -hmm. they've still very much achieved that because now when you log into your Gmail account and then you go to other services, it automatically passes that sign-in across. And so really what they were going for was a way to track you, and they still very much have that. Mm -hmm. So... Lots of changes happening. Will. That's right. Well, for at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but yeah, those are the changes happening in the Google land that I know of. Um, oh, and then also <coughs> just, just announced this week, um, Android M, which is I think 6.0 of Android or six or 5.5 of Android or something is uh, Marshmallow. Yes. Marshmallow. Absolutely. Um, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, probably. That's that's kind of the impression I'm getting. Some kind of sentient hunk of goo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Google. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, th there have been no shortage of, of Ghostbusters references to go along with the announcement that it is Marshmallow. Um, but Aside from that, I've heard, I've heard the name is very popular with stoners. There was actually an article somewhere <laughs> sure I saw today that the stoners love the name Marshmallow. Now, how would you know that, Chris? I read it on the internet. It has to be true. <laughs> of course. Um, so, yeah, that that was all I had about that. I, I don't know much beyond that. I have an Android phone to review, uh, and I'm debating trying to put Marshmallow on it if I can. And in the event that I can, I'll let you know how great it is or how different it is, but I don't think it's that different. So I'm not worried for now. <laughs> um, in other tech news that is not related to Google, um, September 9th is supposed to be a big day in the world of Apple. That's what I hear. And, and that is currently the reported date for the 
iPhone 6S event. Um, and 6S plus. Back to that again. Easy for you to say. Not really. And there also possibly might be an iPad thrown in there somewhere. And also possibly an Apple TV. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of rumors to say things are going to happen on that date. So far, the the things that most of the credible sources seem to have nailed down are are at least two phones and some kind of Apple TV hardware that's based on iOS nine, which is new because typically it's been a very slim skeleton like sub platform of iOS. Yeah. So All I can it's, say it's about damn time. So if it's based on iOS 9, that implies App Store, apps. which is going to be and huge. And it implies an App Store, and it implies white, everything, not so much of this gray and black, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not sure how I feel about. One thing I do like out of a TV is dark and rich colors. So a white interface might be a little jarring, and... Also, a good way to burn out your TV, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not so sure how I feel about it on a video device. I, I'm kind of hoping that they don't go with the white profile. Um, maybe this is their chance to finally develop out a dark mode for iOS nine. That'd be cool. That would be lovely. That would be very cool. Custom wallpapers on your Apple TV. What about mm-hmm. that? That would be the way to do it. A lot of people yeah. have choose photos from their iCloud photo library or their yeah. photo stream and set those as a wallpaper on their TV. Then, you know, if grandma has an Apple TV, she can have a picture of the grandkids. If they could even do something cool with uh, parallax, depending <laughs> on how you're moving within the icons, you could have a shifting perspective based background. That's true. So, like, as you scroll down, it kind of looks like you're almost tilting a little bit. Yeah. That won't. <laughs> now we're back to Marshmallow and the Stoners. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it's moving, man! Whoa, the screen's moving. They could uh, they could have an eye-tracking device in it, so actually, as you move your head, no. Not a chance. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, Things... I, can't, I can't drink and watch TV anymore. <laughs> I can't. I can't, I can't pick. I can't pick Netflix. I can't it won't stand still, gonna... man. It won't stand still. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll see about the Apple TV stuff. It'll be interesting. Um, the uh, the other big rumor, obviously, is the iPhones. Um, and and the big thing that I've the two big things I guess that I've seen, heard, read, uh, are a rose gold color, which. If it looks anything like the rose gold that I saw on some sites today, Ugh, disgusting. I I would like to request that someone have their eyes checked because it is pink. That is pink. 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 It looks like somebody vomited up some strawberry Gatorade. It looks terrible. Wow, that's not the thought I had when I looked at it. But okay, that's <laughs> an interesting <laughs> visual for sure. That's I told you. I told you he was at Costco. That's why I didn't get here on time. So the, uh, the the other thing that they've <laughs> that they've rumored is a uh, a force touch display, which we're we're hearing that that's kind of a a guarantee. It sounds like 
right? from everything that I've seen, uh, all all signs point to force touch on the iPhone, which yeah, definitely uh, seems to be a popular rumor, if nothing else. Uh, as I started thinking about it, how does that how does force touch on an iPhone compare to force touch on a watch? Because I feel like they're a very different experience, or would be a very different experience. Kind of like force touch on the watch is very different from force touch on a Mac. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how on an iPhone, <laughs> wow, how on a how on an iPhone and, that would be. And he didn't blow out his mic. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think how that would. Ian bravely tries to continue the subject. It's, it's, it's probably going to end up. Something like gestures, right? So gestures started really on the iPad. And eventually we got pretty advanced gesture support on the Mac, which has kind of the same feel as it does on the iPad, but is also used for some very, very different things. So maybe it's it's just sort of a new concept that they're introducing, like gestures, that's going to be applied a little bit differently on each device. It's going to be a little different on something like the iPhone as it is on something like the iPad. It's going to feel different on the iPad than it feels on the Max trackpad. And mm -hmm. it feels different on the Max trackpad than it feels on the watch. From what I've seen in various sources, the way they talk about force touch on the on iOS is, is more like a more options type thing. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, uh, I, I could see that kind of like right now when you press and hold on stuff on iOS. Mm -hmm. Occasionally something happens. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it being used. Yeah, that's that's what I think. But but th then mm -hmm. in some reports, they're saying that there's going to be like multiple locations of the screen that you can touch and that depending on where you force touch, it makes a difference. And obviously where you put your finger on the screen gives it an idea of where you're force touching. But at the same time, there's something weird about the idea that I could force touch like in the top corner and get one menu versus the bottom corner and get a different menu or a different option. That sounds like it could become very convoluted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's my concern. It's like, if, if I have the impression of I can force touch anywhere and get a menu, why, why complicate it further by saying, Oh, well you have to force touch in this spot to get this to work. The force touch so. feels a lot like the right click to me. Right. Um, right. It, it just it does different things in different scenarios based on context, but not based on where you're performing it. Uh, kind of. It does make a difference know. where you right click, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, but the difference is all context, right? If I force click on an icon versus just force click on a background versus uh, something else, right? Sure. Now, one thing one thing they've mentioned is. Uh... You could set it up so force touching, like say the phone app icon. If you force touch it, it would go directly into like your favorites or your contacts or directly to voicemail, kind of a shortcut like that. But again, so you're basically saying wherever I put this icon, if I force touch on that icon, I get a, react, a response. Not like if I'm on my menu of apps and I force touch, I get the settings app, no matter what app I'm touching or where I'm touching on the screen. So so that's what I'm talking about, where it gets kind of confusing when you say, well, if you force touch here on the screen, you get this versus if you force touch here, you get this. 
Right. And then you've got 300 different apps that are using force touch in a different way inside the app. Exactly. So yeah, right. it, it's going to be interesting to see how Apple presents it at the event. So I, so I there's always s- a risk to these. Go, go ahead. There's always a risk to these types of things. Anytime they introduce new functionality, there's always a risk of it becoming overly complicated. And you end up with situations like what you ended up with when they released the Magic Trackpad for Macs other than the MacBook. Suddenly, you've got all of these different gestures that 9 out of 10 users don't use. And in fact, many people don't even know they exist. But they do add a nice layer of functionality and usability for power users. Right, you've got power users. Figuring out how to implement them without any necessary complications. Kind of, it's there if you want it. Otherwise, you can ignore it. Yeah. Sure. Because if people have to suddenly learn all of the different force touch gestures, that's going to be a disaster. They, They... they don't want to put people in a situation where they suddenly have to learn a new layer to something they're already familiar with. Right. I, I think this is going to be one of those things where 90% of your apps, it, assuming that it's, even if it is more advanced than than just a force touch for menu or force touch for settings or whatever, um, I have a feeling that it's going to be one of those things that 90% of your apps, if they utilize it at all, it will literally be force touch and your settings come up or the you know, the hamburger menu on the side slides out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing nothing fancier or more complicated than that. It's going to be very simple, very straightforward. And that if somebody wants to build some really fancy functionality, maybe they will. But I doubt it. So we'll see. Continued. We'll see on September 9th, allegedly. And you'll have what? it. Uh, in your hands, allegedly, on September 18th. What are you guys' bets on when we're going to see this sort of thing come to the iMac or the Mac Pro through an updated trackpad? Because um, they, they seem to have done a pretty decent job on it on like this, the MacBook lineup. Like this trackpad? Like the yeah. Magic trackpad? Yeah, exactly. I would love to see this enabled for Force Touch. I, I think it's very much a when they update the next line of iMacs, whether it's a big update or not, I think that just like the uh, the new patents about the keyboard changing um, and whatever, I think we're going to see uh, a new keyboard on a new trackpad in the near future. And God help me, I will punch Tim Cook in the face if they're not USB charging. <laughs> because I am so tired of buying goddamn double A's for this trackpad. And then, leave, and then forgetting that it's on because there's no obvious switch to it and then coming back to use it and the thing is dead. Now, there are indications that apparently with FCC filings that Apple will have a keyboard and a trackpad that will be USB charging. I Good. saw that earlier this week. Or hopefully wireless charging. That's That's something that would be easy enough to implement on devices like that. The dog circus is happening again. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, I I think that force touch on a external trackpad, matter of time, and uh, it seems like a really logical way, especially with the upgrade cycle. 
of computers, Macs specifically, that people don't upgrade their Mac every year, like they do their iPhone, or every two years like they do their iPhone, that it's the only way to get quicker adoption of Force Touch on the Mac is to offer a external accessory that utilizes Force Touch, whether that's a trackpad or the uh, Magic Mouse. Magic Mouse? Mighty Mouse. Magic Mouse. Magic Mouse. I always do this. Yeah, the Mighty Mouse is the, other, the old Bluetooth one. Yeah, Magic Mouse. That One of those two will come out with the Force Touch. And that's when they'll start to really push the um, Force Touch option mm-hmm. on Mac. So, uh, kind of a tangent to that. Uh, Glenn, I assume you've, you've played with Macs that have the Force Touch stuff on them because oh, you have a, have a store that has them. Um, do you know of any apps that do anything special with Force Touch? Outside Not particularly. Of- um, most apps haven't really been updated to take advantage of Force Touch yet, at least not that I've seen. Okay. Most of it kind of interface based, like adding a whole nother layer of gestures dependent on pressure sensitivity. Sure. And I know one of the things you can set it up for is like when I force touch, treat it like a right click. Yeah. And that's to me that that is impractical just because I have years of teaching myself that I can just, you know, control click or two finger click to do the right click, mm-hmm. which is how I've, I've always done it. So uh, obviously there's that like mental block that set me to do it a certain way. The sort of apps I always expect to do something interesting with this are professional apps such as Final Cut Pro or um, professional photo apps like Adobe Photoshop. Those seem like really natural sort of apps to implement interesting force touch features. Sure. And yet, so far they haven't. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can report that Logic has not, uh, that I know of, not that I have a force touch trackpad, but I haven't seen any comments about it in my update notes for Logic, so... I think they would make a pretty big deal out of the, out of it if that were the case. Oh yeah. So, okay. So that's all I had on Force Touch. The uh, other uh, Apple specific thing that I wanted to really quickly discuss, uh, which probably won't be quick at all, is a uh, a report from the Guardian uh, from this weekend or this last week reports that Apple's self driving car is is progressing quicker than expected and may be available or may at least see a little bit of uh, proof uh, a little bit sooner than expected um, because Apple is currently in talks with a test track in California, uh, Cupertino, San Francisco, whatever that area, um, in the Silicon Valley area that basically is saying that Apple's talking to us about renting space they want it very private, very locked down, but they want to test something. And I don't know what else you would test at a car test track other than a car. That's <laughs> um, unless they're testing drones, which I mean, maybe I guess. But or you could... Tim Cook, Tim Cook's new jogging suit. That's definitely. I mean, that's that's in the realm of possibilities. I, I suppose. I mean, they, they, could, they could just test their drones over any. Forest fire in California, any forest fire in California, like many people already do. Exactly. So, what what makes this test track special? And like I said, it's there's not a lot of specifics on it, other than uh, Apple is 
is looking to get space and they want to do it when no one else is going to be around. And they're very specific about their security right. and who has access. And, and so and that, that facility is an old Naval weapons station from the second world war. And from what I understand, it's like 20 miles of highways and city streets. It's set up, you know, for it's testing. like a, it's like like a whole thing. It's perfect. Yeah. So it's, it's a great place to test a vehicle. Um, and I guess Mercedes-Benz and Honda have already are said to have already tested there. So yeah, and and I, I assume it's been used for many things. Uh, it's just a matter of you know now Apple wants to test a a car there, and there's actually I'm I'm less kind of on the just the topic of the car in general. I'm less okay, I think, with the idea of a self-driving car than I am with the idea of Apple making a car. I'm not really fond of the idea of Apple making a car because the Apple premium on things means it's a car I'll never own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I assume that that automatically prices it in the realm of like a BMW or a Mercedes and my wife drives a Kia and I drive a Subaru for a reason. Yep. And so that's kind of limiting us from getting that. And then the idea that if it's self-driving, then it becomes even more expensive. And that also makes the uh, Apple store experience a little weird if there's a car in the front. <laughs> so I, the car thing, I'm, I'm still not sold on the idea of Apple doing a car. I think they need to sort out their CarPlay stuff and get CarPlay into some cars before they invest too much time on a um, car. I really feel place. like it's going to be more like a platform like CarPlay is. Uh, if they do do anything in the, in the automotive, it'll be something that, uh, you know, other companies could build on, use the software, use so, the platform. So they could, you could buy a car, a, a self-driving car from some other manufacturer and then you put the Apple head unit in it. And then, then right. it, I mean, it'll come off the factory, off the factory line with the, off the assembly line with the, it already built in. I don't see, know. I just, I just I have a hard time seeing Apple as a car company. See, and I'm I, I could see them developing the self-driving tech and yeah. then selling it out to others. That's that's what I mean. Something like yeah. that where other people would use that platform. So right. I, I, I mean new... people couldn't see Apple as a phone company before two thousand seven either. So it, it, so you know, when I say I can't see them as a car company, God knows what they'll come up with. That's a very I really just feel market. like it's, it's something that other companies will license or use. Yeah. So you could buy the new Ford Focus with uh, Ford, the Apple Ford Focus or Ford Focus I or whatever they call it. Or right. you know, and it has it has the Apple stuff built in, so that it has the self driving tech, but it's a Ford Focus. So then, so then it could actually appeal to all the the price brackets of cars. So whether you're driving a Scion or uh, whatever Glenn drives that I can't think of the name of right now, or um, a Nissan Versa. That's the one. Yeah, um, or a Kia Soul, like Chris like, drives. Like, like the cool guys do. Yeah. yeah. and Or a Subaru Forester, you know, whatever it is. Or you could have something really fancy like uh, BMW 3 Series that uh, chauffeurs you around. So I could, I could see that if they're just developing the, the back-end technology that other car dealers could then utilize without having to spend the time and the research on it. And it has the benefit of being made by Apple, which means unlike the Google car stuff, 
it's not tracking everywhere you go, even if it is. Hmm. So that's, I, I really hope if they're, if they're working on a car project, that that's what it is, not an actual physical car. All right. Any final thoughts on that topic? I'm with you on it, that. I, 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 I think it's not a car. Perfect. It doesn't seem like a natural marker for them to enter in any way. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of years of cars to, uh, to try to compete with. I mean, the Dodge brothers have been at it for years. The commercial said so. Right. So, um, the, I think the big topic I wanted to discuss, uh, actually comes based off of a Facebook post that I saw on my timeline from a former coworker of mine named Joe. And Joe said, yesterday I spent 10 minutes at the store weighing the pros and cons of getting my daughter a cheap $50 tablet. I assume Android because it wasn't an iPad at $50. Uh, then I remembered she's nine months old and she doesn't need a tablet. Uh, which he followed up with, how young is too young to get kids this type of technology? And so I want to open it up to you guys. And obviously we're the best group to talk about it because none of us have kids. Exactly. We're experts. So what, what do you think is an acceptable age for kids to get a tablet or a smartphone? I suppose we'll, we'll start with a, a tablet. When they can pay for it themselves. So if they can't buy it, they can't have it? End of conversation. <laughs> you really are an old man. I am, and they, they better stay off my lawn. If they do buy a tablet, they better not use it on my lawn. Or use my Wi-Fi either. <laughs> um, so... That same mentality, what, what about like an iPod Touch? Because uh, we've talked about the iPod Touch and who's the market for the iPod Touch. Is that something you could get a, you know, a four-year-old or a five-year-old who wants a music player in a way to play their games or look at YouTube? Well, I've actually witnessed that happen. I, when I worked in the Apple store, a gentleman was a uh, pilot for Delta, I think it was. He came in, he bought four iPod Touches. And uh, I we were waiting for him to be brought up to the, to the uh, sales floor from back in back. And I asked him, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with four of them? And he had four kids under, I think they were all under nine. They were like nine, six, four, and three or something like that. Sure. And he was given each one of them the, uh, the touches so he could FaceTime with them when he was somewhere else. Sure. And he could do it individually and they wouldn't fight over the iPod touches. Sure. So, I mean, people, and I, and I saw plenty of other people come in and buy them for kids that were seven or eight years old. They didn't want them to sure. have a phone yet. Sure. And this is, you know, for me, this is a discussion that I've had with my wife, uh, basically since the idea of kids or kid or whatever has been even kind of thought about. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone a lot and I'll admit that. And I, when I'm not on my phone, on my computer or my iPad or we're watching TV. Like there's very rarely an instance where some piece of technology isn't within arm's reach of me. Right. Uh, and now it's even strapped to my wrist. So I'm, I always have something on me and she was like, you know, how, how are we going to handle this? You know, down the road, if we have a kid, let's say we have a little boy, or a little girl, how are you going to teach them? It's acceptable to use technology now and not now. And how are we going to keep them away from this technology? And how old is it okay to give them, an iPad or how old is, or how young is too young to get them a phone. Um, and so they're, they're topics we've talked about. And, and for us, it's been a, you know, they don't get tech toys at all until they've developed healthy uh, 
real life habits. You know, if, if they're playing with their friends and they're doing their own thing, you know, they're playing board games or they're outside running around or rollerblading, riding the bike, and they, they develop those healthy habits, then it's okay to occasionally have the technology. Um, but it's just one of those things like maybe, maybe not, maybe as not a parent, I have a skewed perception of it. Cause I know some of my coworkers who have kids are like, man, as soon as they're able to touch an iPad screen, get them an iPad <laughs> because yeah. it, because it's that idea. It's kind of the babysitter then. Like I need to do a load of laundry or take a shower. Keeps here's, them out of your hair, yeah. here's a thing that they can do. that distracts them for the five minutes I need to go take a poop, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's an interesting idea of, or, you know, kind of a, a pro and con thing of when is, when is it okay to have access to the internet and to have access to the games? And is it a, a matter of an age limit? Is it a matter of a maturity or a responsibility? So I just thought I would see what you guys think. Right. There are nine-year-olds that can handle it very easily while there are, you know, 39-year-olds that shouldn't be anywhere near the internet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that brings me to, my, I guess, my next question. And, and obviously, we're going to have kind of a wide range of answers here. But how old were you guys when you got, we'll start with cell phones. <laughs> I, I, said, I, I was at least 16. Okay. Uh, it was about uh, 32. And, and how long had cell phones been out? About a uh, couple of years. I mean, they'd finally gotten down below 600 bucks. You know, I had a Motorola. Bag phone. Yeah, well, no, actually, I got the uh, the the flip phone that I had. The, it was about the size of a brick. Okay, a little smaller, but it had the flip on it, and you know, it had the neat ten ten digit LED readout, and you could store five phone numbers in it. I think that was five hundred dollars or something, and cost like one hundred and fifty a month for service. Sure. So no data, just like twenty minutes right, worth. But of this was right. This was this was an emergency phone only right type thing. Yeah. Um, so then what about thing like immersive technology? I, like Glenn, I was, I was 16, just like, just like you. I mean, I got, I got my phone, which wasn't even my phone. It was the kid's phone and it was mine to share with my siblings. If any of us were doing something, that was the phone we got to take with us. Uh, it just happened to be that I was typically the one carrying it because I was one of the car and a job and high school commitments, uh, which slowly evolved into being my phone. But at 16, that was the first time I had access to a cell phone even that wasn't, that wasn't you know, borrowing my parents or using the home phone. Um, so obviously immersive technology, which I consider smartphones, iPads, computers, whatever. Um, when was your, your first exposure with computer that you remember and having access to a computer kind of at your leisure? I was really, really young when I uh, was, was first given computer access um, it was it was treated as a learning opportunity, and of course, computers really were a learning opportunity in in all respects in the mm-hmm. you know early nineties. Um, uh, my first one was an Apple IIe, which I learned AppleSoft Basic on. That that was the expectation. It was an exercise in mind development. How'd that work out for you? Uh, well, judging by my current mental state. <laughs> He developed a little bit Do you remember ar- around how old you were? Like um, probably five, I was six, ten. 
man you know honestly as long as i can remember i've I've had a i've had a computer that i could access for as long as i can remember sure wow chris you were about 25 26 yeah i think i was actually 23 okay somewhere around there it was the 80s back commodore 64 days vic 20 atari type Atari 800 type thing sure. and I went I went through all of them worked my way finally into a Mac but but yeah I was in my early 20s got interested in it when a guy uh, wanted to sell his computer so he could buy a different one and he loaned it to me for a night and I didn't think I wanted it and I sat down with it right after dinner and started screwing around with it you know hooked it up to the television and saved everything on cassette tape with the with the apps um had 2k of memory I think is what the computer had and <laughs> I sit down, started playing with it, screwing around with it, going through these magazines he'd given me and stuff. Uh, and I think it was finally two o'clock in the morning when I realized what time it was. So I stopped at the ATM the next day and on the way to work and gave him the money he wanted for it. And it's been downhill ever since. Just a constant outflow of money. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say for me, I was probably, well, I, I probably used a computer prior to this, but I know at about six or seven, I used a computer uh, with my dad and I, he actually would buy parts for computers and we would put them together. And then kind of the reward at the end of putting the computer together was that I would get to help install the operating system and load the software on it, which now that I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that was a shitty reward. Like, that's <laughs> the job. You to work so you can go out and have a cigarette. <laughs> It was, it was like, hey, we got this thing working. Here's the Windows installed disk. Enjoy the next four hours. Yeah. Dad would be in here watching a couple of movies. Uh, you let me that, have any it problems. was. Like, he would go watch TV, and I would sit there, and I would watch the progress bar really slowly creep across the screen. And then did when you, it would finish. Did you have to do it off of diskettes, or was it off the of CD? Uh, I remember maybe once early on, maybe twice, doing it off of diskettes, where there was you know like 87 of them. And it was like put in number six B and you'd put it in and then it would do its thing for a minute or two. And then it was like put in number six C and then you put that one in or whatever. Um, and then I remember getting CD and thinking, wow, this is, so this is so much more convenient. I can put a disc in and only change once in the process. <laughs> and then they released a DVD version of it. Uh, and it was like, I just put the disc in once and then I started. And at that point I was like, all right, he's just screwing with me. I can put this in and I can walk away and now I can do what I want. I could go pee. He told me I couldn't. I can go pee. Yeah. So that was that was how I kind of got my um, start with with technology and computers and stuff like that was, you know, building computers with my dad was my entrance to it. So even, even at that, though, like looking at how kids are now with their technology and like their parents just give them an iPad and they're like, here, play games. Like they're not necessarily learning anything they're sitting on youtube and you know pissing hours away right not doing anything versus at least for me i was kind of learning a practical skill of making a computer sort of uh, and yeah. i think that's that's the difference um I, I see with i see with ipads and iphones today the same thing that i saw with nintendo when when i was young and, and that's that parents were using them to occupy their kids so that they wouldn't have to watch them as closely right, right. it was babysitter. a babysitter yeah 
So I, I think kind of the unanimous decision here is, is not that there's any specific age, but as a parent, you need to have the uh, responsibility to teach your kid healthy technology habits, we'll say. Yeah. And uh, teach them to detach from that technology when they need to. And that you shouldn't be using technology as a babysitter, but more so as a reward for good behavior. And that that will teach your kids, I guess, better technology habits, which hopefully lead to kids who aren't texting and driving or. Or at least they're prepared to, to drive or to sit in the car while Apple drives their car for them. Right. (laughs) So so that's, that's what I had about that. I I just wanted to get you guys opinion on that because I think it is a topic that occasionally I don't, I don't think about. And then I see somebody in a store or whatever, and I'm like, wow, how, how, why is that four-year-old carrying an iPhone or, or more common? uh, Why is that four-year-old carrying a Samsung Galaxy S3? Right. Yeah. and why would you give your kid a Samsung? That's just rude. <laughs> this is something so, that I, I always end well, up kind of wondering what certain parents are thinking. Because the, the trend in, in, in my area is the iPod Touch. Basically, every kid and teenager has an iPod Touch. And the parents inevitably have something to say about how, oh, it's just like an iPhone, only there's no phone calls. But it can literally do everything else that an iPhone can. It's it's still just as likely to become a problem with constant texting. It's still just as likely to be driving the forces behind the growing attention deficit of that generation as anything, right? Sure. With the right app, they're going to make phone calls on it anyway. That and and access the same inappropriate content that that I got yeah. in trouble for accessing at twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you really break it down, it's giving them technology, regardless of of what it is or how restrictive it is. If it has internet access, the problems don't go away. Yeah. They'll find a way to find the uh, stuff. The stuff. They have not invented content blocks that can block a determined child. Right. And they will share it with grandma. (laughs) uh, Share extension and click, click done. So, all right. Well, that's that was all we had for for main topics to discuss this week. Uh, the uh, it looks like I'm the only one with only one thing in the something of the week. So I'll let. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I have other things I could share if, if I need to share a second. Um, I can. All you but, do is come up with the topics, edit the podcast, just create the you know the upload it, do the just all you do the website. I mean, come if, on. If I could just do one more thing. Yeah, I mean, rest for one more thing. All right. So, uh, Glenn, because your first topic or your first something is something near and dear to my heart, I will let you start. Yeah. So, um, so this week I discovered that there is a yellow edition of Red Bull, which oh, yes. I got to say is just so nice. A very delicious, mild, tropical flavor. And it still has the same punch that Red Bull always packs. In fact, I would go so far as to say I prefer it at least two to one over the original flavor of Red Bull. The yellow is 
is just delightful and usually about the same price as the regular stuff. So, yeah. The second something of the week that I have is the new Square Cash app for Apple Watch. Square Cash is, is something I've been using for a pretty long time. It's something that allows you to immediately send money to other people using the service. But what's nice about it is that money is immediately deposited into their bank account through some sort of creative debit card linking. I, I'm not sure how it works, but it does. And it works really, really well. Um, and the ability yeah. to do that through the Apple Watch is, is amazing. In, in just a few taps, I can send somebody 20 or 40 or 100 bucks or whatever. <laughs> Make 100 like a hundred and six dollars, and it's just just like that. Hey, yeah. What about how about that? <laughs> I, I believe it works. Basically, does a a charge of whatever the amount is to the person who's sending the money, and then it treats it like a refund to the other person. Uh, and because debit card refunds are almost immediate, yeah, the funds are in theory available same day or next day, uh, because that's the beauty of debit cards. My bank statement calls it an ATM transaction, so they've they found some way to speed it up to where it's it's literally within minutes of them receiving it already in their bank account. Really cool stuff. How, how quickly does it work in strip clubs? <laughs> Faster than you can swipe a card in the crack. And I'm not saying which. They, they get a little irritated about that. I'm thinking this might be a better way to do it. I've never met one that takes square cash. I've had a couple that take Square, but never that accept Square Cash. No. Maybe after hours. Do they, do they take NFC? Can I can I hold my watch up to a certain point and push the button? Yeah, it's got to be touchless though. They don't want you touching those clubs. That's what I hear. Chris, you want to share your somethings? Since that is a rabbit hole, I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, you want to hear those stories? Trust me. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> a little while back, did a story on an Indiegogo of the week. It's the uh, memories cable. It's basically a lightning cable that has built-in storage. So you can not only charge your, your uh, iOS device via the cable, you can also use it as storage to uh, store photos, music, movies, and about anything you'd want on the cable itself. It's a nice little short cable. It looks a lot like just a normal uh, USB cable with a lightning cable on the, a lightning connector on the other end. And uh, you do need an app to uh, be able to access any of the files that are on, uh, stored on the cable's storage, but at least you can view everything on your iOS device. It also gives you access to Dropbox, Google Drive. Uh, you can back up things off your, off your iOS device. Uh, it's password protected. It even uses Touch ID if you have a Touch ID enabled device. Uh, even has AirPlay built into the app, so you can play movies right on your big screen via Apple t Apple TV. For, so, from this stick plugged into your phone. From this little stick, it's actually a little cable. You can probably see it there. For those of you at home, I'm holding it up. It's about maybe five inches long. Got a USB connector on one end, lightning connector on the other. Uh, I probably wouldn't use it to charge my device, but it's great. You can plug it in, drag and drop stuff onto it from your Mac or your PC, and then access it on your iOS device, which is what I'm probably going to use it mostly for. Um, 
right now it's on Indiegogo and let me see, let's see what the prices are. Can't remember. Uh, it's definitely been funded already. And for 49.90 for 49 bucks, you get a 16 gigabyte cable, which seems a little dear, but for what it's doing for you, eh. um, you can go all the way up to 128 gigabytes of storage for $149. I'll be trying it out the next couple of days and uh, doing a review on it on Mac Trash probably later this week or the first of next week. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. They've uh, they've been a really great company to work with. They got it over to me in a couple of days after I asked them for samples, so that's great. That's awesome. well, one thing that's really cool this week, uh, just noticed it, is called Showgoers. It's a plug-in for Chrome browsers. And uh, what it does is it allows you to... Uh, watch your Netflix with your friends, with a, a whole group of friends if you want, as long as they have this plug-in and they have a Netflix account, you guys can start the movie at the same time. You can message each other. Uh, if one of you needs to go to the bathroom, you can pause it. Everybody pauses, come back, starts over again. Uh, it also even works great. You can have uh, the creator even suggest, uh, creator of the plug-in even suggest getting on uh, Okay, come on. What's the name of the FaceTime? Well, yeah, you could do FaceTime or you could do what's the other Skype. Skype. Yeah, sorry. Uh, senior moment there. Get on Skype and you can chat uh, with your friends about the movie. I think it'd probably be great to do kind of like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type thing with your friends would be kind of cool for bad movies. But again, we've got that on MacTrast. Uh, links to both the Memories Cable article and Showgoers article will be, I assume, available in the show notes for for this year podcast right now. Absolutely, there will be. All right, and, uh, that's it for me. I, I definitely like that showgoers one. The, the idea that somebody, like, especially like like you pointed out in the in the post, like a long-distance relationship where I, I know I've done it, where it's like, oh, well, let's watch the same movie. So you both right. put it on, and you're like trying to like get them started about the same time and then watch the movie together. But it's never the same. This right, that's the like, exact that's the exact reason the guy came up with it is his girlfriend lives on one coast and he lives on the other. This is and, like the, and yeah. they tried to do it. This is like the future version of that. Obviously, I didn't have Netflix in in my dating era, so way back in the in the early two thousands, <laughs> all the way back in two thousand, we we had to go to the video store and get them DVDs. Exactly, your kids and your Netflix. Yeah. So uh, very cool idea. Netflix, Netflix. When I got married, was a service that sent you DVDs in your mailbox. How weird is that? Right. Now they're. They, I don't even think that part of their business really exists anymore. Like it does, but yeah, they do it, but it's not a huge income driver. Yeah. Um. So my something of the week is the Atomic Headphones by Idea USA, uh, and I'll have a link for them in the show notes. But they are a pair of over-ear, over-ear, on-ear. What are these considered? Whatever those are. They go around your whole ear. Uh, I think it's over-ear. Yeah, yeah, it's over-ear. Um, over-ear, Bluetooth headphones, um, and then they also come with the uh, eighth-inch cable or aux cable, so you can still use them as regular headphones, uh, but they have a fantastic battery life from what I've seen so far. I've been using them for about a week. And uh, I haven't charged them since the initial time when I got them. 
and I've probably done four or five hours worth of listening and they still have great battery on them. Uh, and they have fantastic sound. Like I was absolutely blown away with how good the sound was on these. And they are significantly cheaper than most other Bluetooth headphones, uh, namely like the Beats Bluetooth headphones that are $200, $250, thing in the pair you get. Uh, these are only 60 bucks uh, and available on Amazon. And I will have a link in the show notes if anyone's interested, but they are a fantastic set of on-ear headphones slash on-ear monitors or over-ear monitors and well worth the money. They're quite attractive too. They look very stylish, very nice. Kind of a kind of a modern slash vintage at the same time. And they do they they collapse and fold up real fancy like. Nice. Very slush. They can they they come with a little case, you just pack them up, throw them in your bag and take them with you. Uh, great back to school item in case in the event that you have kids that are around that age and looking for some headphones. And, and call quality on them is also very good. I've used them for a couple phone calls and both uh, hearing other people has come through loud and clear and other people hearing me has gone very well. So Excellent. yeah, like I said, 60 bucks on Amazon can hardly go wrong. So with that, I believe we've reached the end of the show. If anyone has any last words, now would be the time to say them. Bacon goulash. Bacon There you goulash. go. <laughs> a, uh, a link in the show notes if I can convince Chris's wife to share. Oh, she will. She loves that stuff. Perfect. Uh, well, with bacon goulash in mind, my We'll make sure one... that it's actually a good recipe. Hopefully <laughs> oh, she won't listen to this. Before we share it, we'll see if Chris survives it first. Sure. Uh, yeah, assuming all is well, we'll have the link in the show notes. And with that, my thanks once again to both of you for being with us today and being with me today. Yes. Being with us. In the room, we're not saying. I am, I am now a multiple personality character. The royal we. Okay, um, Sybil. So, Take us to the end. <laughs> so, as a reminder, you can find Chris on Twitter at CLHelk and posting stories on MacChats.com. Glenn can be found on the Twitter machine at the Glenja, And you can find me on the Twitters at Ian Fuchs. And thanks again to you, our listeners and listeners and subscribers, which I can never say that, right? I don't know why I keep that in the script uh, for being with us today on Magnificent. Tweet us your comments or questions with the hashtag AskMagnificent. And uh, maybe one day we'll get to those if we ever get any that are worthwhile. And if you're looking for the show notes, you're looking for that bacon goulash recipe, all the things we talked about, magnificentpodcast.com. And also, while you're you're over there, if you're not subscribed to us, hit the subscribe button. And uh, while you're there on the subscribe thing, go ahead and share the podcast with your friends on the social networks. Leave us a rating or review, and uh, it tells us you care. And with that, gentlemen, I appreciate you being here, and we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.